1: 9 podcast Studios,
2: this, this is After 9 with Scott and Cat. Hey now, now. Hey now. How are you?
0: Good.
2: You're uh you look great by the Thanks. way.
0: Thanks. Do I look like a professional?
2: You do actually. Do I, do do I
0: pass as a professional slightly kind? It kinda? is
2: a stark
0: contrast <laughs> from
2: the cat that I normally see. Kat's got a speaking engagement today, which we do do from time to time. Uh, I don't do nearly as many of them since the pandemic. You know, I used used to host like 10 different hospital fundraisers a year and then all kinds of charity events and golf tournaments. Did they just cancel in-person shit altogether or are we just finally now getting back into it? That's
0: a good question. I'm with you, by the way. I haven't done a lot of not even necessarily being a a keynote speaker or hosting or emceeing, even attending. There's been less and less events, I find. So I, that makes me sad when it comes to the fundraisers, because by all means, depending on what we're talking about here, they do tend to generate uh, money. And in this case today, it's for a hospital in Cambridge, the Cambridge Memorial Hospital and their breast reconstruction unit. So I'm glad that this one's still kicking around because it's so needed right now. Because, well, the government doesn't do much in the, in the way of, <laughs> of the equipment that's needed and desired.
2: Okay, you know what? In every case? I've got a list of stuff that I was going to talk about if you are not if you were not available, but you are here. So I'm going to talk to you about a couple of different things that I had in mind for the second half of this pod, which may or may not be Solo Scott. I got a really interesting DM yesterday, and I'll tell you how I answered, but I'm curious to hear what you would say. Okay. I won't say his name. I'm not sure if he wants to stay anonymous, but he said, hey, Scott, I think your views are actually very reasonable. The way you frame stories makes me think about voting conservative, federally. The public can't afford to go anywhere else, and that's what also worries me. But do you ever worry about being driven to vote for a politician that waves a shiny, buck-a-beer-esque savings-type incentive and then pulls the rug out from under you? I'm talking about healthcare and education. We've paid into these systems for decades. It seems like it's getting pulled out from underneath us. Mm. The hospital situation, I thought during COVID we weren't ever going to see it that bad again. It's actually worse yeah. since COVID.
0: I've heard so many nightmare stories, particularly ER. I suppose is where some of those nightmare stories have come from. And we're—I mean, we've mentioned this before. We've touched on it. We're not sure if it's really the money. It seems like a lack of people it is potentially the answer. But I know that there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to hospitals and how they run. So it's all different. But yes, it's—it's it's bad. It's—it's it's really bad, and it makes—it breaks my heart to hear some of the stories that are coming, particularly lately. Which is an interesting one because I'm with you. I thought COVID—that's it. That's the worst. We're going to get better. We're going to do better. But
2: I, I don't see it. See, and I'm a little torn on the topic. I uh, I, I totally agree with this person. Yeah, we've paid into these things mm-hmm. for decades. At this point, for all of the billions of dollars that we've put into healthcare and education, these systems should be running tickety-boo. Yeah. We have never spent more on healthcare than we're spending Right now. And I know that the the opposition at Queen's Park doesn't want uh, anyone to hear or believe that number, but the reality is it's true. When you look at the budget, we spend more now on healthcare than at any point in history. And it feels like the system is crumbling. But here's my theory tell me if I'm okay uh, going down this road. I almost feel like the, the hospital system in particular is crumbling because the hospital system wants to crumble. Oh, so, uh,
0: okay. Internally.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. that I'm sure that, yeah, we lost a lot of nurses. We also fired a lot of nurses, which was s- still sick to me. We did. We, we kind of did this to ourselves, but we're in a situation now where I don't know if we spend any more money on it, if it would have even a lick of difference. And I think the hospitals are very aware of that. They've watched as nurses yeah. left to go work for private agencies and go work for private clinics doctors have come up with other ways to make money. And in a lot of cases, it's not worth it to go and work in an ER and put in those shitty hours and see the terrible things that you see in an ER. It's just not worth it to them. They can go into a family practice and make money or whatever it is they opt to do. They're probably going to the States and other countries where they'll get paid a lot more and get treated a lot better than they do. And and we've got these really well-paid executives that run the hospitals and they're getting paid, but I, I kind of feel like they're going to get paid regardless, whether the province owns these hospitals mm-hmm. or whether they're privately owned. So I don't know that even people in healthcare right now are really trying to preserve the public system that we have. It seems like it started to crumble, and then the solution was let it go, let it go, because everyone's going to have a job. If you work in healthcare, whether it's in the current system or in a potential private system or whatever it ends up being, you're still going to have a job. You probably know that you're probably going to have better working conditions and maybe even make more money if we go a different route. But I mean, what is it like 70, $80 billion we're spending on healthcare this year. And I feel like even if we upped it to hundred, it isn't going to solve the problem. Like we, we, as long as the province pays for it, I feel like we need to let the healthcare professionals make the decision. You know, these hospital CEOs that are in charge of staffing the hospital, it seems like they're not doing a very good job or there's just nobody that wants to do the job. And if nobody wants to do the job or these people are incompetent, then maybe we just got to bring in the private sector and say, you guys run it. We'll pay the bill.
0: Yeah. And it, I mean, it's hurtful to think that there are people working there that feel that way. But I understand when you get to you're at you're at the edge, right? You're at a point where you just can't anymore. But it's we've seen it before in different places. I don't know. Like I, I recall um, places who have just had enough. So they decide to do what? Like you said, kind of like let it go. And it's, it's unfortunate because that's not what they want. That's not what the people who work there want is who I'm talking about. You know, the people who work there, they're there for the right reasons. Most of them. I mean, gosh, sure. There's probably a small percentage that just wants the paycheck, isn't really good at what they do. But the majority of people are and they're there because they want to care for patients and they want to be there and their hands are tied, which is always so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And unless you've been in a scenario and I'm going to talk just specifically about the ER for a bit, just because that's my own recent, more recent personal experience, um, even for op- people getting operations, or operations though, you guys know, it's the waitlist is stupid. I mean, all those for a lot of different reasons, but the the system is broken and the people who work there know. Like in waiting and hours and hours and hours, you see people approach uh, people that work there and they can't help. And for them, it's, I think, frustrating, but it also raises a lot of questions. Like, why don't we have someone, for example, who might need a ultrasound at 3 a.m. who's suffering some severe pain Oh, sorry, they're not in. Our, our tech isn't in until 6 a.m. Like, Because emergencies don't happen overnight. Little things like that just get me. And I don't know what the root cause is. I don't know if it's all people, but I can't also can't blame someone for making the right choice for their family if that means they up and leave these places. But we can't have that. So it's got to be fixed. It's got to be fixed. It's got to be looked at, and I hope it is.
2: Yeah, me too. Uh, we'll talk uh, daycare this time around. Another DM that I'll read you. Okay. Scott, regarding the $10 a day childcare. Don't quote me on this, but from what I'm told, the reason that the a lot of daycares signed up to be part of the $10 a day childcare program is because if they didn't, they could actually lose employees because some of the employees that work at the daycare were being subsidized by the government. If a daycare opted out of the $10 a day program, they would lose the subsidy for that employee and possibly have to part with them. My kids daycare told me that uh, they almost didn't opt in because they said it wasn't really worth it for them, but they couldn't afford to lose staff.
0: Interesting. And they can't afford to lose staff. We've had that conversation before. We know that to be true.
2: Absolutely. I, I don't know how much there is to that. I, uh,
0: I don't know either, actually. I never heard, I never heard of that. I, I heard it was a big headache. Um, the, the center that my, my kid was in at the time all this unfolded was absolutely frustrated, uh, mainly with the government and trying to sort things out. And Parents asking them questions, understandably, going, you know, where, how come I'm still paying the full amount? Like, and we, basically, we had back pay. That's what ended up happening because it was such a gong show in the beginning that I believe it started in April, for example, and we had to receive back pay or not pay our our tuition, if you will, the the fees for months to try to make up for it. But it really wasn't the center's issue. They were just trying to do all the right things. It was frustrating for everybody, I know.
2: Meanwhile, the local municipalities that directly operate childcare centers are now being ordered by the province to conduct an audit to determine if they could be run by a third party instead. This would be like your city-run daycares and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. The province says this move is uh, to order the audits is raising some concerns. Let me just start that sentence over again because I buggered the whole thing up. The provincial government's move to order the audits is raising some concerns. It could herald privatization and undermine progress on staff wages, according to a spokeswoman for the industry. Meanwhile, Minister Stephen Lecce, the Education Minister of Child Care also falls under him, says the review is actually about delivering better value for parents. <laughs> A Toronto Policy Centre, focused on the early childhood practice, says the municipally operated centres tend to pay staff higher wages and have lower turnover compared to others. Again, I feel like even if they didn't, they would lie and tell us that. that for some reason, people just fight tooth and nail to keep things public, and I don't know why, if the private sector can run it better, I mean, as long as the government is paying their end of the bill, what do you care? Same with hospitals. I mean, I've got to go for an MRI on Friday. This is a surgery that I have to have to correct a broken ankle that I had years ago. This process has been like two years in the making now. Yes. I'm finally going. I had a, uh, my doctor got me in and sent me for all kinds of tests, looked at the tests and told me what I already knew. Yeah, you'll need surgery. I'm going to refer you to a Mm -hmm. surgeon. Refer me to a surgeon, waited eight months to see this fucking guy. First thing he does is I need to see an MRI. And I'm thinking it's an ankle. There's only like two or three different things that could be wrong with it. Surely to God, you've seen the two or three things that could be wrong with it. There's no surprises when you cut it open. Just fix it. Do
0: you think they were trying to push it off on purpose?
2: Yeah. hundred percent they list- were. The
0: lists are long. I know they are. I just had a girlfriend finally get uh, get her hip uh, a hip replacement done yesterday. Took her forever as well. I know she was feeling that frustration and uh, it, it's, it's anyone, you know, who's, who's waiting for it. We, I get it. I know I've been there with family as well, just waiting and waiting and it shouldn't be like that. Just cause you know, other places in the world, I know the systems run differently there, but it is frustrating when you know that other places it's like, snap, no problem. Let's get you in. Let's book you in for two, cut two weeks from now. You're done. You'll be done. It's a lot of running around, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's tons. And if you don't get the MRI or the X-ray or whatever imaging done at the, the, the hospital, if it's done at another clinic. Then you got to drive there and pick up a CD and drive it to your doctor's office. Which is
0: still messed up to me. It's
2: 2024 and we're still screwing around with this nonsense. Something's got to change. One of the things that we talked about yesterday was medical assistance in dying. Made. Oh boy, Scott. Did you get some DMs about we this? We ruffled
0: some feathers, I think, a little bit with that one. And it wasn't necessarily even the context or what we were saying about it. He was talking about it in general. Now we know in the pod, listen, we're going to talk about everything, even if it's uncomfortable. And I fully understand that some of the things we talk about can be triggers for people. I mean, to be quite transparent, Scott and I through the years have talked about many things that are probably a trigger for us in a way or one way or another. But you still have to hear out the conversations. And if you're not interested, by all means, there's a fast forward button. So I just want to say that to a couple of people who... Not as much on the podcast, actually. To be honest with you, it was mostly our radio show. When we just mentioned it for a small amount of time, it was a little triggering for people.
2: People are cranky today, though.
0: They are. They were complaining about a lot today.
2: I I don't understand why. We didn't talk about made on the radio. We We said on the radio that in the podcast, we would talk about made. That got a complaint.
0: You better have a trigger warning for that. I, I, okay, I, We're just going to discuss it. And that's all it is. And by the way, like for people who, I know if you've been through it, you know what MAID is, but by and large, people would have to really look into it to know what it is too. But we discuss everything on here and that's going to be the way it is.
2: I'm still learning about MAID and and I want to understand it. And I think in general, I agree with the premise if it is someone that has a terminal disease No hope of getting better. Their quality of life will never be what they want it to be. The doctors agree there's nothing they can do. The person's in pain. Any number of those reasons, I think that that's a worthwhile conversation between a patient and a doctor. I'm here for it. This is the DM I got yesterday. Scott, to start with, I do not agree with MAID. That being said, my late father-in-law chose to go that avenue. He had ALS. Once you get approved for the process, you pick a date and the time. I was appointed driver for him, the wife, and her sister. We showed up at the hospital at 1.30 in the afternoon. They put an injection patch in his arm and told us to come back that evening. We got back to the hospital a few hours later. They asked repeatedly if he was sure. Once they were satisfied that he was committed to following through with it, They sat him down in the bed. It was a half dozen needles, four minutes, and he was gone. As harsh as it sounds, it's like taking your dog to the vet to be put down. Mm -hmm. I was there for moral support for my wife, who was eight months pregnant at the time. It's something I hope I never have to witness again.
0: Uh, uh,
2: uh, Fuck.
0: Where do you start? First of all, I'm sorry that, uh, that that happened. I they have to go to the hospital for this. Yeah. Is that the case? Yeah, it's in a you medical have, setting. You have to. You ha- they can't come to you and make sure it's a sanitary setting at your home. Uh, just, just to be clear, because I, I actually don't know much about it as well.
2: I, I don't know either. I, I know that,
0: hospices, for example, will do it there. That's what I was yeah. going to
2: say. Hospices, in some Different. cases, will allow you to be in your own home to yeah. pass away.
0: Okay, okay. Um, uh, that's. I mean, it's difficult to watch it, isn't it? But you also have to be so respectful of the wishes of that person, because I think there's a huge difference, especially toward the end of what he said there. I would... Uh, you know, I don't want to ever go through that again. I would say, I would say to that for me, if it was a loved one of mine, and of course I'm not in that position. So I understand, but it's hard when you're,
2: when you're not there and you don't have that first experience. And and
0: I understand what it's like to be in a situation and other people comment on it and don't know. So I don't want to be that person ever, but I would like to think that there'd be peace of mind for me. If that was a loved one of mine, that they're going on their terms. Because in a lot of cases, and he mentioned ALS, and that's I know that the end of life for ALS is just, there's a lot of diseases, right? A lot of diseases, a lot of things we get in life. The end is awful. I have Alzheimer's in my family is a good example. The end is awful. You know, they don't know who who you are. It gets to the point where they forget to eat. They don't understand how to eat and, and that's it. And I, often wonder if more people throughout the existence of humanity would have chosen this option and if that would have brought them a little more peace for themselves i understand it seems selfish for other people but it's really for them it's really their decision and they crossed all the t's and dotted all the i's there and they asked several times if if the person was sure that they were okay so this is where i don't see a problem with it right now i really don't i mm-hmm. think that we should really respect each other's wishes i understand being upset and you can go through all the stages of grief you can be upset because that's going to be a part of it you'll be pissed You'll probably swear at them after they're gone. But at the end of the day, it is their choice. It's their life. That's how I feel.
2: Well, the the proposal to extend made to people whose only condition is a mental health disorder, that was the one that got a lot of people talking yeah. and it raised a lot of red flags yeah. and All I'm going to say about that is I did learn a little bit about that yesterday, and I heard a doctor on one of the news shows, and that doctor said the reason that he doesn't support MAID for mental health issues is that we don't know who can be cured and who can't. We don't know if treatment could make somebody better. And this is an otherwise perfectly healthy individual physically that has a mental health issue. So on that alone, he said, we've got to take MAID off the table. But having said that, I also really believe that letting uh, you should let adults make adult choices. And I'm really, really conflicted on it. I, I think that when we do sit down and have a conversation about it, they're going to put it off until at least after the next election. Sure. Whoever wins is going to have the, the say on that for at least four years, likely. I, uh, I think that when we do have that conversation, it's got to be calm, not political at no. all. No,
0: And we need to hear from people who have been in that circumstance before where they have been heavily you know, in a mental health crisis. That's who I want to hear from. I want to hear from, people who, hear from people who came out the other end, their thoughts on it. Now, obviously, some of them may have their own uh, thoughts because they came on, out on the other end, but I want to hear from everyone. I want to hear people f- struggling from depression. I need them to do studies. I want to see it all. That's, that's the only thing that I'll, I'll add into that, is, is when they do eventually make that choice, I want to make sure they hear from everyone, and I don't want it to be political at all.
2: I don't uh, get a chance to do a dive in the pod on my DMs very often, but that was three that I just got yesterday and I'm going to try and make an effort to bring more of those DMs on the pod.
0: We should mention too, guys, sometimes it goes to, uh, it's called a requests folder on Instagram. It's so dumb and that's where sometimes they get lost. So I try to do a dive as well. Usually on the weekends, I'll go back through and respond. So please do not take it personally if we don't reply right away. It just might've been, it might've been a little hidden for us.
2: I want to do this next story because I think it's important to do this story. One of the things that we always try and do here is be fair and try and be balanced. And fair is fair. Let's point it out. Yesterday, the federal ethics watchdog announced he's not going to investigate Justin Trudeau's Christmas vacation to Jamaica. Conrad von Finkenstein. Well, that's a name, eh? Wow. Fuck. Fuck. He told the House of Commons Ethics Committee yesterday he considers the case closed because the trip came from someone with whom, and I quote, Trudeau has a true depth of friendship.
0: How do you, (laughs) imagine being that person that gets to judge other people's depths of friendship. Crazy,
2: right? So listen, the (laughs) Uh, ethics commissioner says this is fine. He's not even going to investigate it. I assume that'll be the end of the story. Fine. Now, do we have a right to have a conversation about going forward? who is a friend and who isn't. Yes. If he had been handed $85,000 in cash instead of a free vacation, would we be having a different conversation? Obviously, a rule change needs to happen here. I don't think there's anybody who thinks, yeah, an $85,000 gift from a friend who's also a donor to the Trudeau Foundation and all that sort of shit. I don't think anybody wants that sort of stuff to happen. And if right now you're on the fence saying, well, you know, they were friends and stuff, Just remember, eventually it'll be Pierre Polyev and then eventually it'll be another prime minister after him. And if you feel that way now, don't you dare criticize whoever's elected prime minister next if... They do the same shit.
0: I would think even if you are in charge, even if you are a leader in any capacity, maybe you want that as well for your own comfort. Because if something happens, and let's say you are best friends with someone who runs a big company and does gift you with something down the line, you you would probably feel awful about others thinking that you were taking it essentially as a bribe, which is what we're talking about some of the allegations are concerning. So I I don't know what the perfect system would be for that, but I did suggest when we talked about it first, like maybe when you're sworn in, you also give a list of your contacts here are my close, and it could be long as it needs to be. It could be 150 people. It could be your friends, family members, people that basically you'll have contact with constantly or consistently, and that's known. When you make new friends, and I don't know how many politics politicians in power even have time to make new friends, so I would question it, but if you need to update the list every time you're elected, perhaps, or every time there is an election, you get to update it. I don't know what other way to, how, how else to do it. I really don't, but It's one suggestion. Maybe you just let it be known right then and there. And then you can go, ha, look, I was friends with, you know, Barbara Corcoran. It had nothing to, her money and power had nothing to do over me getting this and that and the next thing and me using her company or any of the other shit, right? That could happen. Yeah. Sorry, Barbara, I just threw you under the bus. I was just trying to think of a rich person.
2: Well, listen, I mean, (laughs) we have an ethics commissioner for a reason and, and they're there to make sure that things are operating ethically. And no, we can't have a situation where our leaders are accepting lavish gifts and spending all kinds of time with people that yeah. are trying to influence them that we can't have i'm okay with actually not having much of a policy on this although if i were in office i'd want to know exactly what i can and cannot do Well,
0: that's do. the we need clarity we need it
2: trudeau doesn't give a shit this is the fourth fucking time yeah, ethics fair. stuff has come up with this guy he doesn't care and that's fine he doesn't need to he's into his last year as prime minister and uh, whatever he'll go on and have a great life and probably maybe have a hut on that island somewhere fine Either way, as long as it's not Epstein's Island, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, I I just don't have a problem with that. I mean, I've got friends and if I were prime minister and I got invited to go and stay with them, yeah, I'd love to think that I don't have to clear that with the ethics commissioner. But I can tell you one thing. I would use common sense. I would have complete and total respect for the taxpayer money. And if the ethics commissioner or the opposition parties come along with questions, I will stand there and answer them until everyone is satisfied that they've got the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing we don't get out of Justin. He's so sneaky and shady. Keep in mind, one of his ministers came out and said, this trip has been pre-cleared by the ethics commissioner. Well, we know from yesterday the ethics commissioner doesn't pre-clear vacations. That was just a bold-faced lie mm. hoping that this wouldn't blow up. So it's scandalous, but it's not scandalous. The ethics commissioner says it was a friend. I'll take his word for it and that nothing wrong was done here. But either way, something's got to change. And really, we just need more people with integrity in politics is, is the the bottom line. We need more people who aren't afraid to answer questions about shit like this when they get themselves into these situations. You know who's really driving people crazy right now, Kat? I'm gonna she's like Canada's villainess. Who? Catherine Tate, the president of Radio Canada and the CBC. Oh. You remember the bonus bullshit, right? Yeah. Back in the fall, they called yeah. her in and they were asking her, why is the CBC so full of shit? And why are you guys paying yourself bonuses and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay, well, yesterday she was testifying in front of a commons committee. And it was a number of politicians from all parties, Liberal, New Democrat, Conservative, Bloc, and Green, who asked Catherine questions about the operations at the CBC. But really what everybody wanted to know is, you're cutting 800 jobs, you have a $125 million deficit next year, are you still going to accept your bonuses? I'm going to play about two minutes of an exchange between her and Andrew Scheer in committee.
3: Fewer Canadians are watching the CBC than ever before. Viewership has plummeted to half of what it was when you became CEO in 2018. Ad revenue has also crashed. In fact, it was down 31% in just one year, 2022 to 2023. And trust in media, and especially in the CBC, has also declined. The the NDP talk about misinformation. Uh, The CBC has had to issue more than 100 corrections to grave er errors in reporting.
2: Let me say that. Let me just re-emphasize that. They've issued a hundred clarifications on stories that they had wrong. A hundred of them.
0: That's a lot.
3: Here's more. Uh, and, uh, and that obviously has an impact on trust. So given the fact that on all these important metrics that, that you've agreed on, what justification do you have to issuing performance awards?
1: I want to correct a couple of your points, if I may, uh, Madam Chair. First of all, the 30% drop in revenue was between an Olympics year and a non-Olympics year. And in fact, in the years you're describing, we had two Olympic Games. And so we have a much higher level of revenue, ad revenue during those years. So that explains the drop. Okay, so
3: were ad revenues in 2023 higher than in 2022?
1: Uh, I would say they were flat.
2: Oh, they're okay. Flat. okay.
1: Yeah, and that is, by the way, very much part of what's going on in the industry. Television is in decline, not just at CBC. At CTV and global, television with, is in decline, and people with, are moving to streaming, with all and due they're respect, moving to their connected television. With all due
3: respect, you, the CBC has almost a half a billion dollars in real estate holdings across the country big fancy buildings in downtowns across the country, you get over a billion dollars in taxpayers' money to be a television broadcaster, radio broadcaster. When those metrics are down, how do you justify giving performance awards to people whose job it is to increase viewership, to increase ad revenue, to increase trust?
2: Can I just say, what a fabulous question. I think that's a question that everybody would like to know when we're paying a billion dollars a year for this. Literally every metric, and and the lead up to that question was her agreeing. Would you agree that viewership is a metric of success? Would you agree that trust in the media is a metric of success? Would you agree that ad sales are a metric of success? She agreed with all of those. So now we get to the million-dollar question. With all of those things down, again, how do you justify paying out bonuses? Madam Chair, if I may, I don't agree with the premise
1: you, you add, adds, no, I don't agree with the premise. Down, 79% of Canadians say that it is important for the country to have a public broadcaster like CBC Radio Canada. 82% who commissioned that poll? say...
3: Who, who commissioned that poll?
1: That is, Those are our public perception surveys that we conduct... Oh, you oh they're your okay. surveys. So, so, so your polling tells you that Canadians like what you're doing. third-party leger uh, survey firm. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, I, 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 if, if, no, the, if the argument is to try to say that we're no longer of value, all I would say is that's not what I hear what, from Canadians. What, what I'm and, asking and about our is with
3: all Without your Ms. statement. Oh, when, when you give someone a bonus, and we've just agreed on the metrics that, that, uh, that should be used to judge a, a broadcaster, when those metrics are down, how do you justify giving people, executives, big bonuses when they haven't achieved success by these metrics that we-
2: okay so at this point cat's got to run
0: i got to get out of here but i, I definitely continue on with this you'll and- hear the, the car yeah <laughs> i was just going to say it i'm going to listen in on this later on uh for now i got to go i'll tell you all about the event tomorrow and I, I would tell you to have fun, Scott. Or I know you will. Have fun. Oh, oh I'm going to have a
2: great time <laughs> ripping the CBC a new one. Hey, hey, good luck with your event. Thank you. You're going to be great. I know it. And uh, please say hi to all of the great people at the Chamber of Commerce in Cambridge.
0: They'll inevitably ask, where's Scott? I'm like, okay.
2: Everywhere we go. <laughs> if I'm there, they'll ask, where's Kat? Yeah. If Kat's there, where's Scott? I don't know. We don't go everywhere together. Just <laughs> but so I, you know.
0: I'll tell them all you said hi, though.
2: Amazing. All good right. luck, okay? Thank you. And if you are, it's possible right now, you may hear a commercial it's also possible you may hear the answer to that question. I don't know if there's going to be a commercial or not. It all depends if our sales department is doing their job. Either way, the answer standing by. Okay, let's get to the answer for that question. It's going to be Solo Scott for the rest of this episode, by the way. Kat had to leave. She's got an event, and, and we wish her luck. Andrew Shear, in a Canadian Heritage Committee hearing yesterday, was questioning Catherine Tate President of the CEO, sorry, President of the CBC and Radio Canada. This is a company that gets a billion of our tax dollars every year. Their viewership is way down. Their ad revenue is way down. Trust is way down. Uh, Let's pick it up again. And now you're going to hear the answer on why she thinks with all of those things that she is entitled to a $100,000 bonus on top of her almost $500,000 a year salary Along with all the other executives at CBC. Uh,
1: Madam Chair, if I may, I don't agree with the premise. You,
2: you the don't reali- agree that ads, no, I don't agree with the is premise. Down, 79% of
1: Canadians say that it is important for the country to have a public broadcaster like CBC Radio Canada. 82% say.
3: Who commissioned that poll?
1: That is, those are our public perception surveys that we conduct.
3: Oh, you conduct it. Okay. But
1: so so by, your polling tells you that Canadians a like a what you're doing. By using a third-party leger uh, survey firm. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, I, I, I if, no, if, the ar- if the argument is to try to say that we're no longer of value, all I would say is that's not what I hear what, from Canadians. What, what I'm and, asking and our is all due s-
3: Without your segment oh, When, when you give someone a bonus, and we've just agreed on the metrics that that, uh, that should be used to judge a, a broadcaster. When those metrics are down, how do you justify giving people, executives, big bonuses when they haven't achieved success by these metrics that we've agreed on?
1: As I pointed out, the metrics that we measure are public and tracked and they're in all of our reports. So I'm afraid to say that uh, that trust is down. Trust is down across the entire media section. So and it have, also affects politicians. 100. It yeah, also yes. affects Wait, when, all of our... When you misrepresent our, right, the right, truth, it does me. affect the politicians. Excuse me. <laughs> the time is up.
2: But well, luckily, the chair jumped in and saved Catherine there. In, in case you're wondering, she eventually went on to answer the question by saying, well... It's not up to me if I get a bonus. It is up to the board of directors to determine whether or not we get a bonus. She is totally abdicating responsibility even though she's the boss and the buck should stop with her. Again, this is a woman making almost $500,000 a year to run the CBC and she wants her $100,000 bonus even though ratings are down, revenue is down, trust is down. Speaking of trust... Why is trust down at the CBC? I know everybody has their own beliefs, their their own thing, and and maybe you don't even notice it if you tend to agree with it. But man, oh man, is it ever obvious to me when I'm watching the CBC in particular, not, not just the CBC, but in particular them, the slant, the spin. I really hope that when someone watches what we're paying a billion dollars for. They ask themselves, why would they say that? Why would they do that angle on this story? They have a spin. They have an agenda. They love Justin Trudeau and this government, and they are shit scared of Pierre Polyev defunding the CBC, meaning they would have to survive like private broadcasters on ad revenue alone or other sources of income. Maybe they create an app and charge people a subscription fee. There's any number of ways that broadcasters can make money. The CBC has never even really had to try. They take a billion dollars. They pay themselves and their executives very, very well. They have all these lavish things like, Foreign correspondents over here and there. They've got like eight different people whose job it is just to cover climate change. These people are just, they spend money out of control. And then when it comes time to be accountable, they don't want to be accountable. But I think generally speaking, people are starting to see through the nonsense, particularly in, in the CBC's news coverage. I see it plain as day. Let's hear her talking a little bit about disinformation.
1: All I would say is if you believe that the fight against disinformation is something that touches all Canadians, regardless of political stripe, the public broadcaster remains the single most effective tool that we have as Canadians to combat this disinformation. We are the only national media company in the country.
2: What a tone deaf response. This is the CBC mouthpiece for the government during COVID, by the way. These are the people who helped shame anybody who disagreed, refused to cover opposing perspectives. And just every press release that came out from Health Canada, they read verbatim on the air. Even though since then, more than 100 retractions have had to be posted. More than 100 of them. They think they should be the ones who control the facts. CBC says everything is disinformation. Unless it comes from us. Everyone should trust us because we're the national broadcaster. I I see them more as a PR arm of the prime minister's office, personally. I I don't see objective coverage on the CBC. Not very often do I see opposing points of view. And every now and again, you'll see something that makes you think, oh, well, maybe they're turning around. Maybe Maybe they're getting there. Maybe they're starting to see the light. Maybe they're trying to be a little more inclusive of all of the views in Canada. And then that reporter, it just ends up gone. You never hear from them anymore. Man, imagine the CBC trying to claim ownership of the facts and claiming that other people are spreading fake news. It's completely crazy to me. And I have no doubt that they are going to get their raises. They are uh, to be coming out soon. Yesterday, they also announced that 100 jobs have been lost so far. 700 more jobs will be cut A $125 million shortfall next fiscal year. We got to have a conversation about the CBC. I don't have a problem with them. I think that there's still a place for CBC. I think some of the programming on CBC is fine. I actually really enjoy. This hour has 22 minutes. I used to like Rick Mercer. I thought those were great, unique Canadian productions. The news coverage, yikes. There's a lot of improvements to be made there. Is it worth a billion dollars to us? Well, here's the problem. Again, private broadcasters like City, like Global, like CTV, these channels have to survive and operate like a business. And, and you hear about job cuts and things like that. It, it's sad. It really is. The state of news in this country is really bad, but the news itself has a lot of reason or a lot to do with that. There's a lot of distrust in the mainstream media because there's a lot of people who don't feel like their opinion is represented by mainstream media. There's a lot of people who have heard things that they believe to be true that they try and tell you you're crazy for believing if you watch some of the mainstream news coverage. CBC needs to pick a lane. They need to pick a lane. They're either a publicly funded broadcaster like TV Ontario is, or they're a private broadcaster. But no more should we have this unlevel playing field where the private broadcasters have to live off of the revenue that they generate. But the CBC can spend on whatever lavish things they want and hand out all these bonuses because they're getting a billion dollars from the taxpayer. If the CBC wants to be publicly funded, they've got to stop trying to go after advertisers. They've got to stop trying to bring in ad sales. They should live in one of two streams either revenue from ad sales or publicly funded. And I don't care what it is. Like I said, I'd hate to see a Canada that doesn't have some form of the CBC. But I mean, what we're getting isn't exactly working for everybody, clearly. The CBC themselves are so fucking confused. They think people really like them. They think people think they are the authoritative source on news and facts in this country. And frankly, it's really not like that. Not in reality, anyway. Another topic that is near and dear to many people's hearts is grocery prices. Get ready for even more sticker shock starting next week. Metro's CEO says price increases are going to start coming to grocery stores next week as the industry-wide blackout period on supplier price increases comes to an end. Now, Metro says they're negotiating with suppliers to delay, not cancel, delay price increases as much as possible. They just reported a first quarter profit of $228.5 million. No problem. Hey, good on them. If they made $228.5 million, cleanly, I would say good for you. You are excellent business people. But they raised prices on something that we need, a commodity that Canadians can't live without. They went to Ottawa and put on this big Broadway-style production about how we're going to work together and there's going to be a code of conduct and, oh, we're going to have a joint price freeze until the end of January and yada, yada, yada. They did it all. Nothing's changed. The prices are still high. Now they're warning us the prices are going to go up again. We know it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. I mean, if if Loblaw buys mushrooms from this particular plant and they're paying two bucks a tin and selling them for three... Okay, fine. But I can go to another grocery store and see the exact same mushrooms from the exact same supplier and that other store is selling it for six. Obviously, there's a problem here and the grocery stores will not do themselves any favors. Open the books. Open the books. If you guys want to sell a head of cauliflower for $5.99, okay, just show us how much it costs you and let us make our judgment. But they won't do it. They won't. They swear, no money in groceries. There's none. We're only making money off of the the cosmetics and the clothes we sell and that sort of nonsense. I don't believe you. Canadians don't believe you. Open the books. Now, as far as the federal government is concerned, man, it is the bottom of the ninth, two out, and they are 0-2 in the count. Francois-Philippe Champagne is the industry minister. I don't know much about this guy, But I do know that I have watched him trot out there a couple of times now, and it's a swing and a miss. We want the grocery stores to lower prices. Might have to tax them more. Uh, Okay, all right. Now we're going to have a hearing in Ottawa. We're going to parade these these people in here, doing some sort of a perp walk and put them on television and shame them. Well, that didn't work either. There's really only one, two more ways to go. They say they're considering heavily taxing their profits. I'm going to say that that's not going to work for anybody. Because we know that these grocery chains are just going to pass that extra price increase on to us. It'll end up costing us more. It's an unintended consequence, if you will. That's what the government will call it when the prices go up and they throw their hands in the air. Raising taxes on these people isn't the answer. The answer has always been and always will be competition, not regulation. We don't need to regulate the grocery stores anymore. They're clearly not being honest or upfront with us. We know that these executives and CEOs are getting paid just an obscene amount of money. We know that in one quarter, one grocery store is making $228.5 million. We know that they're not interested in making our lives more affordable or better. They're just not. They're, They're running a business. They're driven by profit, and they want the biggest profit possible. Get the competition in here. I said it, was it last week or earlier this week? I don't even remember. Doing a pod every day, you lose track sometimes. But we need an EV battery plant style approach to groceries. Instead of going out there and trying to lure fucking Hyundai and Chrysler and all these people here to build batteries with our precious minerals, you spend that money and lure grocery chains here. Let's get some standalone Costco grocery stores going in Canada. Let's get some Trader Joe's. Let's get some Kroger's. Let's get some, any of them. Any of the international chains. Give them whatever tax incentive they want. Do whatever you have to do. But right beside every Loblaw and Metro and Sobeys, I want to see an international grocery chain in there forcing Loblaw and Metro and Sobeys to either compete by lowering their prices or nobody shops there. And I have a feeling that once there's actual competition, prices will come down. Same thing applies in the cell phone industry. We know the same thing applies in the cell phone industry. Do you know how quickly our phone bills would come down if Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile set up shop in Canada? If the federal government said to T-Mobile and Verizon and AT&T, hey, listen, you guys set up here in Canada and we will do whatever and make it really worth your while. You watch how quickly Bell and Rogers and TELUS and all their their sub-companies start lowering prices. We need meaningful competition. It's one of the fastest and most effective ways to lower prices for consumers. We just got to do it. We have to. Uh, Two more things I want to get to in this episode, and I don't want to go much longer here, uh, but I I get a lot of DMs about the Solo Scott episode, so I'm going to try. What are we doing here? What's going on? Are we near war? Apparently, Joe Biden is preparing to respond after some Americans were killed, many more injured, in an attack on a U.S. base in the Middle East. So Biden's, he's been putting out the, the talk, right? We will respond at a time and place of our choosing and our will. Okay, all right, Joe, good for you. Um, what are you going to do without triggering World War III? Are you really going to bomb Iran? Get the hell out of here. You're not going to bomb Iran unless your actual intention is to start World War III. Keep in mind, Joe Biden and all of his buddies there were the ones that screamed up and down at the top of their lungs for years, Donald Trump is going to tank the economy and start World War III. Those same people who tried to convince you that Donald Trump was the enemy are the same people who have tanked the economy and are about to start World War III. We don't need to be going to war with Iran. That's the last thing we need to be doing right now. I really hope that there's a sober second thought coming here because it doesn't seem right. But something's going on. Just yesterday, the Canadian Air Force started advertising to try and get people to re-enroll. The Armed Forces says they're looking for former members with experience to give it another go. They say you will make an immediate contribution to our air and space capabilities. They say they can offer job security, a better pension plan than before, and the option to work full or part-time. Kind of weird timing for the armed forces and the air force to to not just go on a recruitment binge and try and get people interested in joining the army and put them through basic training. They want people who are already trained. They want people who have already got a, a profile in the payroll. They want people to come back and start working right away. And frankly, that scares the shit out of me. What is going on? That we don't know. Somebody knows what's going on. I'd just like to be let in on the plan. Are we preparing for war? Is Canada preparing for war? Are we preparing to be attacked? I don't know. I really don't know. Weird timing on that though. Uh, Marineland has pled not guilty to charges. Over the care of three young black bears. Marineland in Niagara Falls has filed a motion to have a case stayed. Over what it says is an abuse of process. Let me tell you the story here. Ontario's Animal Welfare Services laid three charges against Marineland last May for failing to comply with an order. Now, Marineland wants those thrown out. Here's why. The province had previously ordered Marineland build an enclosure for the bears with climbing structures and permanent access to water. Well, Marineland had a choice. They could undergo a big construction project or they could forfeit the bears back to the crown rather than than do the work. Well, they did forfeit them back to the crown and they say, well, that amounts to compliance. The crown says Marineland was non-compliant and is subject to charges. I don't know what the real story is here, but I'm getting a little tired of hearing stories about animals involving Marineland. I don't know what goes on there. I have no idea. I haven't been there in years. And when I did used to go and take my kids, it was fine. It was never great. It was kind of rickety and falling apart and run down. But it was fine. They had belugas and they had orcas and they had seals and sea lions. It was neat. That was the only place in Canada, really, that you could see them. But it seems like it's just one thing after another. And what I'm trying to figure out is, is the animal welfare services or someone in government picking on marine land? Or is Marineland actually a real serious problem? I'd like to think that if they are a real serious problem, we're not screwing around with uh, charges here and charges there, shut them down. If they're really being neglectful or abusive towards animals, shut them down now, do it. But if they're not and you guys are really just trying to pick on them because you want them to go away or you want something else, uh, leave them alone. Either get in there and get this done Or leave them alone. Either way, let's get it resolved. Because this has been going on for years. Every few months. Oh, new charges laid against Marineland. And then a few months later, you hear a little bit more about what happened in court. Or what didn't happen in court. Or procedural mess. And then you hear, oh, the Marineland's selling some animals. Or they're donating them to other facilities. I just want it over with. Either treat it like a a proper zoo. uh, That cares about conservation. and, and, And so on and so forth or leave them alone. I, I don't know what the answer is or what really goes on there, but a little bit more transparency would be appreciated. Finally, four more players from Canada's 2018 gold-winning world junior hockey team have now been charged with sexual assault. Lawyers for Calgary Flames forward, Dylan Dubay, Flyers goaltender Carter Hart, Devils players Michael McLeod and Cal Foote confirmed the charges yesterday. They said their clients would plead not guilty. Former NHLer Alex Fermentin surrendered to police in London on Sunday. His lawyer also confirmed that Swiss based athlete was charged and would plead not guilty. Now, this is related to an alleged group sexual assault that happened in London after a Hockey Canada gala way back in 2018. I really want to know what everyone was thinking when they decided to leak that these players would be charged or are possibly facing charges or whatever, before the police did the news conference. The police aren't even doing the news conference until this Monday. So right now, people are left with no information. You know what we do know? We know that there was a sexual encounter that happened in a hotel in London back in 2018. We know that there was a consensual sexual encounter with at least one of the players... And then whatever happened after that is clearly in dispute here if if we've got the police ready to lay charges, but the players are ready to plead not guilty. Was it a group sexual assault? We don't know. And this is the problem. The police need to get out in front of this. If they're going to let it slip that five NHL or former NHL players, gold medalists from the world juniors— are going to be charged, they'd better damn well be ready to get some facts on the table here. Otherwise, it's just rampant speculation and people questioning it. Do the police even have enough for a case? Why is this coming up in 2024 when it happened in 2018? I remember this. The police investigated and no charges were laid the first time. What happened between them declining to lay charges then and them now laying charges? What about this settlement that apparently Hockey Canada signed with the alleged victim. What was in that settlement? All of this information, I'm sure, eventually, we'll get to know at least some of it. I don't know if we'll ever find out the details of what was in that settlement, but uh, the rest of it, we'll find out what the accusation is, why the players feel that they are accused wrongfully. I want to know more, and I just... I can't remember any scenario where police said, yeah, we're going to lay charges against some real high-profile athletes, but we're not actually going to tell you why or give you any information for a week and a half. We're just going to let these reputations suffer. I don't know if reputations will suffer. I don't know what happened here, but I do know that the speculation right now is so unnecessary. How about you come out and just give us the facts before you start naming names and calling people in for mug shots and fingerprints? Hopefully, whatever happened, justice is done. Let's always hope that justice gets done. However, in this case, I don't love the way the police handled it. If it turns out that these players are not guilty, why are they sitting through a week and a half of horrible news coverage and their name being thrown through the mud? Or maybe they did do something wrong. We as members of the public have a right to know at least what the accusation is. We don't get to find out until Monday because of a questionable decision by the London police force. Got to roll, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of After 9. We'll have a couple more later this week. Elon Musk just announced that the first human subject received one of his Neuralink brain implants. (laughs) It's never a good sign when the headline is uh, the word's first human subject. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's never a good sign when you wake up from the surgery and the doctor says, oh my God, it worked. In fast food employment news, Chipotle is hiring 19,000 people for its busy burrito season. In a related story, Chipotle is also hiring 30,000 bathroom attendants. (laughs) Well, guys, everybody's excited about this year's Super Bowl in Las Vegas. And I saw that Tickets to the game are the most expensive ever With the cheapest ones going for $10,000 Ten, Ten dollars is a lot for a football game But it's dirt cheap to see Taylor Swift live I, I will say
3: that I'll do that